You are listening to Your First 100K, the number one podcast for Christian entrepreneurs, coaches, and business owners who want time freedom and financial freedom so that they can provide for their families, travel the world, and give back to the less fortunate. If that's you, then sit back and stay tuned in because you're in the right place. I'm your host, Joseph Warren. I started my first multi-million dollar business at age 19 and wasted away my 20s trying to find happiness through money, success, and pleasure. I made millions, but I still didn't feel happy or fulfilled until I learned the real secrets of success. So the big question is this, how can Christian entrepreneurs like us who didn't give up on our dreams build a highly profitable six to seven figure business without being unethical, doing it all ourselves and neglecting our family and our faith? Well, that is the question. And this podcast will give you the solutions and strategies you've been looking for. Thanks for spending time with me today. If you're new here, then welcome. I have a free 10-day training waiting for you over at first100k.com. Again, go to first100k.com to grab your free 10-day training. Are you a dad over 40? Are you overeating, overdrinking, or failing your family? Brother, if you're overweight, watching porn, or drinking more than once a week, then listen up. If you're struggling in your marriage or finances, you've lost your power as a man. What's even worse is that other men can smell weakness on you. When a man lacks confidence, he stinks of weakness. People could smell it on him a mile away. People and opportunities will avoid him because he's carrying a deadly disease called powerlessness. Remember back when you used to feel invincible, you were in your power, when you were unstoppable, back when you were the man? But how do you feel now, brother? Are you tired all the time, unmotivated, stressed, worried about the future? So what the heck changed? What happened to you? I'll tell you, you became undisciplined. You've been slipping for years, haven't you? You eat like crap, you half-ass your workouts, your health is slipping, your finances are slipping, your marriage is slipping, your parenting is slipping, your confidence is slipping. A pile of slips leads men to a big fall. How do I know? Because I'm you, brother. You are me, I am you. Brother, you're out of power. I'm in my power. Let me help you get your power back. Apply for our shredded father's brotherhood where husbands, dads, and businessmen over age 40 are getting shredded and staying ripped for life. Go to shreddedfathers.com. Limited spots are available. Brother, your wife and kids are waiting for you to step up and lead them. Brother, wake up. Move. Today, my featured guest is Brian Johnson, and he is the founder and CEO of Heroic, a social training platform that Dr. Phil Stutz, subject of the Netflix documentary, Stutz says, will change your life. Brian's book, Arati. How do I say that, dude? You know what? It's one of those words that's tough to say. It's Greek. Spell. I'm half Greek, bro. I should know this. My mother never taught me Greek. It's ridiculous. Let's go. And what does it mean to the rest of the world? So arete is the one word answer, the ancient Greek philosophers like Aristotle, Plato, Socrates, and the ancient Stoics would give you on how to live a good life. We translate it as virtue or excellence, but it means something closer to being your best self, moment to moment to moment. 
And this is the trend. This is the catchphrase, right? Become the best version of yourself. Everyone's trying to do it. They're throwing different labels on it. Like what makes what you're up to stand out from everybody else? And then we're going to get into the business topics. Yeah, well, I, I don't think there's any separation between the personal and the business at the end of the day. I think that an individual's consciousness is their greatest business asset. Most people don't get that. Getting that right is is incredibly important. But what I've tried to do, whether it makes me different or not, is for others to decide. But I, I've spent a lot of time integrating ancient wisdom and modern science into practical tools that um, we've got a coach certification program. 10,000 people from 100 countries have gone through it. Um, Heroic Coach, it's been scientifically proven to change lives. We've got an app that does the same thing. Um, but I'm trying to help people go from theory to practice to mastery. So we That's all it. basically know what we should be doing, but we need to get in the habit of actually doing it. Common sense to common practice, all of that stuff. Um, and again, we've worked with some elite performers um, in you know the sports world, military world, corporate executives, et cetera. And we've also worked with people who don't want to get out of bed tomorrow morning. Um, and it's been a, you know, an honor to serve people across that spectrum and, uh, background. I've done some stuff entrepreneurially in addition to the, uh, kind of teacher philosopher mode and having fun integrating those two things these days. Now, do you find it difficult in the beginning when you first started this to transition from that teacher philosopher mode into business owner, right? And like, oh, I got to go actually make money with this and create a business model, right? In order to grow this and scale this and have more impact. So many entrepreneurs, they want to have the impact, but they don't want to learn the business disciplines. Yeah, for me, it was the other way around. So I went to UCLA as an undergrad, first generation college student, um, hated my first job so much. I threw up on the side of the 405 freeway driving home, you know, doing some consulting work, went to law school, thought that'd be my escape hatch, hated law school, dropped out. Only thing I knew I wanted to do was to work with the Little League Baseball team. Did that, came up with an idea for my first business. This is 1998, 99, um, which was to serve families involved in sports. It's called E-Teams. We won a business plan competition at the Anderson School at UCLA, hired $5 million, hired the CEO of Adidas to replace me at 25 years old, right when the market crashed. So I kind of call that my $5 million MBA. Uh, but anyway, I, t I you know, made enough to take a few years off, figure out what I wanted to do when I grew up. That's when I became a philosopher, studied Socrates in Athens, literally the port of Paris, Jesus in Jerusalem, Rumi in Turkey, you know, Marcus Aurelius near the Danube of Hungary, where he wrote meditations. And then I needed to make money again. So started my second company, which was a social platform before Facebook. John Mackey of Whole Foods invested in that, nearly bought it, sold it to a different publicly traded company, had enough to take a little bit of time off, um, and then, uh, you know, studied some more. And then by that point, you know, I'd earned a couple of gray whiskers and uh, all that good stuff and was committed to creating a business that integrated the impact and the um, underlying, you know, financial metrics that are important to make things happen. New company, Heroic Public Benefit Corporation, um, we made history, first company to ever raise five million via the new um, SEC regulations for crowdfunding um, as part of an $11 million seed round. Uh, partner with the company that built Slack, Tinder, Uber Eats, Elon Musk went to them to build Neuralink. I share that just to establish the fact that I've done a few things, you know, entrepreneurially, raised 25 million bucks. And um, it's the integration of the two that's my passion right now. So, how mm -hmm. do I take, you know, the we're a public benefit corporation. I'm passionate about conscious capitalism, 
and using business as a force for good. Um, but when we work with our coaches, I, I tell them, look, you're client number zero. You are your most valuable asset. We've got to get you dialed in. So when you walk into a room, people feel you. Um, and so an entrepreneur who wants to go from zero to 100,000 or whatever, or 100,000 to a million or whatever, I, I'm adamant. We need to get you to show up and perform at your absolute best. And we figured out some ways to do that. Um, but that's, again, now a long answer to your short question. No, thank you for that. And I think you dialed in right on where I want to target on this show because I couldn't agree with you anymore then it all comes down to who is the founder as a person how are they showing up in their life how are they showing up in their business and that is in direct a direct reflection of the results that they're getting or not getting right and so many people are complaining oh i, I got i need the next process the new next system the next no you need the next transformation brother like what is still going on in you that you got to like go into that darkness right? And shed some light in and clear that out, right? So that you show up completely different, better as a performer in business and in your personal life. So I'm in agreement completely. Can you walk us through some of those steps that you take coaches through when they come to you and you're like, hey, your client, yep. client zero here, like, let's get it right here, right? Because they're coming in at all different places, but I'm sure you've picked up patterns uh, yep. where they're all beginning. What do you got? For yeah, us? So, yeah. So the, the peak performers, whether they're, uh, you know, executives or again, military or sports teams, et cetera. So the U S men's national team, I just talked to him last week. Um, their head coach wanted me to talk about anti-fragile confidence. So if you're an entrepreneur, and again, I've been there, done that. I have gotten hammered so many times as I know you have, and anyone listening to this, it isn't easy. Your story that it should be easy is the biggest obstacle to your success. So you've got to cultivate, you know, what one could call a grit, but I take it deeper than that. We want to cultivate anti-fragile confidence. So let's define some terms, anti-fragile and confidence. Anti-fragile is a word Nassim Taleb coined. It's the opposite of fragility. So it's way stronger than resilience. Most people think of resilience, but you got to think what's the opposite of being fragile. So for example, if you imagine being shipped in the mail, you're a package. If you write, handle me with care, when life is hard, business is hard, I get a health challenge or a relationship challenge, I break. When COVID happens, I fall apart. You're fragile. Now, if you're resilient, you can handle more stress than you break down. But what if you wrote on your box, throw me around? The more life challenges me, the stronger I get. And you approached all your challenges like you're in the gym, lifting weights, using that to get stronger, literally. You'd be anti-fragile. Now, the only way to build anti-fragility is if you deepen your confidence. So a lot of people are preening, pretending like they've got it figured out, right? I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about deep, deep, grounded, calm, humble confidence. Confidence etymologically means confidere, intense trust. Intense trust in what? That your plans are going to work out? That's crazy. Intense trust that it doesn't matter. You've got what it takes, the mindset, to show up and respond. Um, but then I like to say, if you want to build trust in any relationship, what needs to happen? So if I didn't show up today on time, you wouldn't trust me, obviously. You may give me one pass, but if I did it again, you'd be like, I don't trust this guy. And you shouldn't trust me. So if you aren't doing the things you say you will do, you shouldn't trust yourself. If you say you're going to train in a certain way, you're going to send out a certain number of emails, or you're going to do whatever it is you say you're going to do and you don't do it, 
you're eroding your trust every single time. So we want to forge anti-fragile confidence by getting you to get clear on who you are at your best and then do those things even when you feel at your worst. It's a longer chat we can talk about about Phil Stutz and, and what he you know kind of taught me that has shaped my thinking on anti-fragile confidence, but that's the number one thing I focus on. And if you can get good at that, when life hits you, you double down in your protocol and you're more fiercely committed to doing the little things at a high level rather than spinning out and doing all the clown show, you know, stupid things, you know, you shouldn't be doing your life can change. And then by, as a result, your business is going to change. Um, cause you are your business, especially if you're the founder or, you know, solo entrepreneur of whatever it is you're trying to create. At startup nation, Brian is taking us to a deep place really quickly. And I appreciate it because what I see a lot in the business world and I've experienced personally many times in my own startup companies is people breaking their word constantly and expecting you to give them a free pass because everybody else does. But what Brian is saying to us and reminding us is that every time we break our word to ourselves or to someone else, we are shattering the trust we have in ourselves and humanity. And we're, we're dinging or... <laughs> Uh, how do I want to say we're, we're dissolving our own confidence. Like we're all out to be more confident. You know, as a business owner that you need extreme confidence to take on the adversities that come with business and growing and scaling, you know that. So you're reading all these books, you're investing in courses to build your confidence, but then you're breaking your word left and right. You see the problem here? You're breaking your word in your business. You're breaking your word in your home with your own family. You don't mean it, so you're a person of good intentions, right? We all live in good intentions. Here's the problem. And Brian, I think you're so right. We're incongruent with our behavior and our intentions. They're incongruent. They don't match. And it's like, well, the world should judge me based on my good intentions, but that's not how the world works, is it? The world looks at your, your actions or your inactions and judges you based on that. So there's your disconnect, Startup Nation, right? So Brian, how do we connect these two and how do we get, in, get congruent between our word and our actions when we've built these really bad habits for so long of being incongruent? Yeah, I mean, there's so many ways to answer that. Um, I'll go briefly back to Arte, then I wanna talk about the art and science of behavioral change. Um, it's, it's a really important part of everything that we do. Um, but again, to go back to Arte, uh, it is you being your best self moment to moment to moment. I like to draw two lines. One eye height, one a foot below that. So if you're capable of being this version of yourself, and in any given moment you're actually being this, and there's a gap between who you could have been and who you're actually being, it's in that gap in that moment. And I'm not talking about where you think you should have been over the last 25 years or two and a half years. I'm talking about right now. If there's a gap between who you were in the last moment and who you could have been, that's where regret, anxiety, disillusionment, depression exists. When you close the gap, there's literally no room for that stuff in that moment. Um, that's Arte. When you do that, you experience a deep sense of joy, meaning, and purpose. The Greeks called it eudaimonia. It was the summum bonum of life, the greatest good to experience that. Now, again, happy people, flourishing people are more successful people. It goes in that order. You got to get that relationship with yourself right. Then all the success you want happens. It can't go the other way. Um, but anyway, there's that. 
But then when we've failed so many times, and we all have, you know, in changing certain behaviors, installing or deleting different habits and behaviors, we tend to think something's wrong with us. Then we tend to shame ourselves. Then we tend to give up. So BJ Fogg, the great Stanford behavioral scientist says, no, 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 no. It's not a character flaw. It's a design flaw. Perhaps you just haven't been taught how to create a great business or how to create a great life and change these behaviors. But if you mastered that process, you can achieve the things that you've always wanted to achieve. So quit shaming yourself, bring a healthy level of high standards, but then don't waste the time spinning out into all the you know circuses in town, vicious behaviors. Just get a little bit better and install um, and delete the habits. We can talk about how to do that. It's um, frankly right there with anti-fragile confidence, my favorite subject. But the simplest way to make it practical is Bust out a piece of paper, draw a line down the middle, on the upper left, put do, on the upper right, put don't. And then think back to a time in your life when you were on fire, whether it was a day or a week or a month or a year or a decade, when you were at your best. And I want to know what you were doing and what you weren't doing. And then think about the one thing that you did when you were at your best that you're not currently doing right now, that if you did it, would most positively change your life. Circle that. And then think about the thing that you're currently doing that you didn't do when you're at your best, whether it's binge watching, drinking, eating, or whatever, fill in the blank on your kryptonite, circle that. And know that stopping that behavior is actually the fastest way to change your life. But that's how I start to go from theory to practice. Um, and each of us will have a different answer to, the, to those questions. Um, we got to own our idiosyncratic, you know, different uh, rhythms and what works for us, et cetera. Uh, but again, long answer to your short question. That, that's how I frame it up. We can go into detail on how to install habits, how to delete, leaning on James Clear's ideas, atomic habits and all that, um, or wherever you want to go. I appreciate how you just gave us a very simple, practical exercise that anyone can do if they're willing and they actually want to change. My question, and it comes, it goes back a little bit in reverse to what you were talking about. How do we What's the best way to not have uh, this pursuit of perfectionism, yet have this high standard for ourselves of excellence that is achievable? Because if yep. we put a shit too high that bar and we're constantly missing it, then we yep. have that guilt, shame, and all those other negative feelings, and that gap could actually broaden rather than narrow. How do? What do you recommend for that? It's a great question. So there's. Uh, Tal Ben-Shahar, one of my favorite teachers, taught the largest class at Harvard, wrote a book called The Pursuit of Perfect, in which he talks about perfectionism. And I, I'm a total recovering perfectionist, son of a good man who struggled with alcohol, fixed mindset, style one-on-one. His dad struggled with alcohol, ended his own life. So I get mm. that struggle, right? So you want to frame it up. He, Tal Ben-Shahar frames it up like this. He says that you got to have high standards. That's really important. But the perfectionist, as we know, uh, you know, when we think about a perfectionist who's struggling, you know, and, and you look at like eating disorders, depression, anxiety, these things come from an unhealthy perfectionism, but there's a healthy perfectionism. The difference between the two is they both have high standards. The perfectionist who's unhealthy thinks they can actually do all those things successfully every single time. The healthy perfectionist is so different, he calls them something different, an optimalist, optimalist. That means they do the best within the constraints of their reality. In 24 hours, 
you know, there's only so much I can train. You know, I'm, an, I'm a disciplined athlete is kind of how I strive to show up, but I'm, I'm not going to go train for four hours a day while trying to be a successful CEO of a startup, while trying to be a great husband and father to my two kids. There's only 24 hours in a day and I'm sleeping eight to nine hours a night. When am I going to do what? So you have to embrace the constraints of reality, hold your high standards, and then you just need to make decisions. This, not that, um, but that's a, that's a really important facet. And then you got to let go of the shame. Shame does not help the self-actualizing process. Um, there's a science to that too we can talk about, but you got to step back, approach it all as a game. It is what it is. You are where you are. And now what needs a little bit of work? What can you do about it? And then chip away at it day in and day out um, as you forge a new consciousness, a new identity, earn more trust with yourself um, and uh, you know, cultivate that anti-fragile confidence we've been talking about. Thank you for clearing that up. I appreciate that. How does the speed of decision-making positively or negatively impact us achieving those high standards consistently? Because what I see a lot is we are in a society that is becoming ever more indecisive in basic decisions in life. You can even see it the way people drive. <laughs> I think indecision causes more car accidents than a lot of things. So yep. what, how does the speed, how fast we make decisions or how slow we make decisions hold us back or accelerate us forward? Yeah, I think we're aligned on the importance of, of making, being decisive. And, and of course, it's nuanced. There are certain you know, decisions that require a deeper level of um, rigor and analysis. But, but get good at making decisions would be the short answer. You know, Be decisive, cut off other options. I think most of the time, most people are afraid of making the wrong decision, so they don't make any decision. That's it. So um, you know, my coach, again, Phil Stutz, he talks about two things. One, speed is a force is one of his lines that I love. So speed is a force. When you have clarity, and we usually know, we usually know what the right decision is. And if we don't, then I would step back and ask yourself, well, what do you want? Again, get unplugged from all the nonsense, all the inputs. Um, I personally, I eat, I move, I sleep, I breathe. I, I train my mind in a certain way such that I'm connected to that best version of myself, it, that version of me is the one who makes the decisions for me. That wisdom is always there. So I'm doing everything I can to create a, a conduit for that clarity to come through. But then when you know, and again, asterisks, all the qualifiers, but when you know, take action, go. And then you may find that as you take action, it wasn't actually a great decision. Perfect. Use the data, make a new decision. Mm -hmm. Go through that cycle again and again and again. Um, and then use the mundane things to build that muscle to your point of just be decisive in the, in the simplest things to, it's like training for an Ironman. You know, you're not going to go do that unless you put in the mileage and you've made the little decisions, um, then the bigger ones become easier. Um, we can say a lot more, but, but I think, um, uh, intuiting where you were going with that, we're aligned. Uh, decisiveness is important. Taking action, it, it, action drives creativity is another phrase from Stutz. You got to be in the game to know and get the data to respond to what's working and what's not. I, I agree so much on this. And, you know, I'm, I'm running in my head that exercise of the piece of paper with the line down the middle. And I'm thinking back in my 20s when I 
was uh, with some partners and we built our first seven figure business in 12 months. And like, what was one of the things I was doing? I was decisive, like a mother effort. <laughs> like I made <laughs> fast decisions, fast and hard. And I was very naive green behind the ears because I lacked experience in business. But my decisiveness in my action taking was a powerful force. People would call me a force of nature back then and people would follow me because I was so decisive and I would move with such confidence, very naive most of the times, but you know what? Eight out of 10 times, it would actually work. I would do something yep. that someone said was impossible because I believed I could and I was naive <laughs> enough to not know I couldn't. And I just yep. decided, and as information came because of my next step, I saw the next thing and the next opportunity. I went left, I went right. And I got into this habit of fast acceleration, first in my decisions, then in my actions. And that is how we built seven figure business in 12 months. Yep. I just want yeah, to give a case on, in point there. No, no, that's brilliant. And I, I have on my wall two, other than my kids and my wife um, behind me, I have two living heroes of mine, Phil Stutz and John Mackey. So John Mackey is the founder and former CEO of Whole Foods, um, friend and mentor, of mine, his his thing was when running Whole Foods, ready, fire, aim. Mm -hmm. And he actually said, no, no, fire, ready, aim. He was so aggressive in, in taking action. And this is where I think a lot of entrepreneurs in particular get caught up. We're thinking, we're thinking, we're aiming, we're aiming, we're aiming, we're aiming. And then you get to a point where you lose all your confidence, you know, the longer you wait to take action. But when you do what you just described, and again, all the asterisks, but you're taking action and you're getting the data and you're allowing yourself the freedom to make mistakes, but then you, you get the data and you make a better decision. Like that ready, fire, aim um, is so important. And then it's today's the day, you know, get to work, do what you can do to squeeze the most out of today's you can. Yesterday's gone. Tomorrow's going to be today, right? Um, and when you combine that with the the scheduling of your own protocol. And again, you couldn't pay me to not get a certain amount of sleep. You look at Bezos and Warren Buffett. These guys, Warren Buffett says he wouldn't lose a night of sleep for an investment ever. Bezos, eight plus hours of sleep, needs it. That's when he performs at his best. So prioritize that, schedule that. You're training. When are you going to move your body? You get a 12-hour mood boost. Don't wait until the end of the day. Work out early in the morning. Get that win. Get the a little bit of Ritalin, a little bit of Prozac, hope molecules going through your system. Um, those things matter. The nutrition matters. I mean, you want to get your psychology right, get your physiology right. Um, so all these little things we know we could be doing, we want to aggregate and compound them, then give it time. Um, and you can fundamentally and permanently change your life and your business. And it becomes a heck of a lot more fun. Because again, you're closing the gap. What do mm -hmm. you feel? You feel a deep sense of joy of, yeah, yeah I'm showing up. Um, and I got what it takes when things don't go the way I want to respond positively. So again, next step, let's go. Startup Nation, are you like me where maybe you're over 40 years old? I'm 47, about to turn 48. I'm now a father, right? Of three beautiful children. Got my gorgeous wife, married the girl of my dreams. And that 20-year-old, 20-something version of myself that was decisive and took action fast and repeatedly and consistently and got all these wins. I was stacking wins in my 20s. Now, my personal life was crap, right? But in business, I was a force to be reckoned with. And now 
I'm over 40, my priorities have shifted to the meaningful things in life. So my family life, my personal life is fantastic. Wouldn't change anything. That gap is so narrow right now. Brian is fantastic, right? I, I love it. But then in business, I've lost that decisiveness. I've lo- because there's more at risk. Back then I was single, I was a bachelor. Hey, I risk, I get back up, I always get back up, that's who I am. But now I got a wife and kids, like, can I really take this big risk, this big move, make that that fast decision, or do I need to wait on it longer, overthink, overanalyze, because there's too much at risk? How do, you, how do we wrestle with that? Because that's very real for a lot of people. How have you been successful with that, Brian? Yeah, I mean, again, that's a really, really important um, conversation for a lot of reasons. Uh, You and I both, now I'm 49, you know, I got two kids, I got everything's there. But um, I I think there's like, moment to moment risks, you know, and and doing what needs to get done. Then there's like the meta risk of yeah, yeah, you want to be wise, you want to be anti fragile. And the way that Nassim Taleb coins that up is imagine a barbell. So if you're going to the gym, you got a barbell, right? It's got weights on either end of it. Well, on one end, you are super aggressive. And on the other end, you're super conservative. You need both. So if you're only going out and swinging hard, just Mr. Aggressive, which you and I could do in our 20s, you're lopsided, you're you're fragile. Because if things don't go the way you want, you're going to break easily. So you want to find, especially, you know, in any situation, but especially when more is at risk, in quotes, you want to have that aggression tempered with the conservatism. So you're simultaneously both aggressive and conservative. Now, I tend to err on the side of being overly aggressive, right? So you got to find that balance. Different people will have different tendencies, and there's a virtuous mean that you want to approach, and that's one way to do it. But again, I, my, my most fundamental practice are my fundamentals. So much my eating, my moving, my sleeping, training my breath, and my focusing you know, through my meditation practice that gives me this stability where I can now handle a lot more stress in my life with a level of calm, confidence, energized tranquility, because I have a solid physiological base. Whereas the old me, mm-hmm. it was just, I mean, I was just up and down, dude. It was just, oh yeah, cool. Okay, today's a terrible day. That's, oh, and then, you know, it's just like this, this uh, uh, disjointed experience where now it's like, all right, today's the day, you know? And what am I gonna do to show up? And I am just ruthless on the most basic fundamentals to give myself the opportunity to stay grounded in the midst of more and more stress and pressure and challenges. Um, but then I think you need to have a strong why. You know, I tattooed my body with a 30-year a 30-year mission. You know, by the year 2051, I want to help create a world in which 51% of humanity is flourishing. It's a near impossible goal. I got from the founder of the positive psychology movement, a guy named Martin Seligman. But dude, I look down at my my arm every morning and I know exactly what my game plan is. All right, I have a really strong why, which makes it easier for me to say no to nonsense and to endure the pressure. But look, if you wanna be a a hero, you wanna be heroic, you have to be willing to face those dragons. You have to put in the hard work to cultivate the strength for two. And you do it right and it all becomes fuel, as I've said a number of times, for your actualization. Um, And none of it is easy. You know, except when it is and you celebrate those rare moments and you get back to work and, and uh, find that proper edge, et cetera. Um, that's some of how I, I mitigate risk, but you're never going to get rid of all of it. So then it's, all right, well, what do you want? What do you need to do? Get busy paying the price and, and find the integration that you described 
We call it the big three, energy, work, and love. A good life comes down to getting those three things optimized. Um, and the more we can simplify the battlefield, you know, and keep our, our, our focus on what's important right now, um, the more enjoyable it is and uh, the more successful we are. I agree. All right, we're speaking with Brian Johnson. He's the founder and CEO of Heroic. Uh, he's written a book. He's going to tell us about it in a second. Um, and we're about to get into our hustle round. I've enjoyed this conversation already. Uh, I hope you have as well, Startup Nation. Like we're, we're talking some deeper things here, okay? But these are fundamentals. These are foundational. And if your foundation is not solid, guess what? You can't build a really tall building on it. Okay. And some of you are wondering why, like you're feeling shaky all the time and like it's not working. Well, probably you got to go back to the foundational things and pour some cement in those cracks. You mother effers, like seriously, <laughs> like you gotta, you gotta look at that and you're like, no, 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 just go forward, go forward. Yeah. But you're building on a cracked foundation. It's not going to last. So get to the basics, do the fundamentals. Like Brian is saying, I know personally, I have had to do this the past year or two now. Um, just just to really build what I'm building here. And I realized, and I had to get humble, oh crap, I didn't have it all figured out. I missed some things along the way. I got to go back, look into my own darkness, deal with some stuff I don't want to deal with, and get, get free of it. And I did, and I did, and now I'm ready. And now my, guess what? My energy came back. <laughs> Isn't that interesting, right? So my, many of you are leaking energy, like, you know, holes in a gas can. And you're wondering why you're out of fuel. It's like you got you to gotta seal these holes, man. And sometimes it looks like, I don't know, forgiveness with someone in, in your life that you're just holding on to unforgiveness and won't resolve and restore that relationship. Like it's basic stuff at the end of the day. We're all people. And most of your energy is being sucked out because of your <laughs> relationship or lack thereof with another person. Look at some of those things. I know they're not easy. I know you don't want to deal with emotions. You just want to make more money. I get it. But if you want to make more money, like Brian said in the very beginning, like it starts with you getting happy in relationship with yourself and, and other people around you. Then the money will follow. Right? So you gotta you gotta really prioritize what is meaningful in your life. And then what are those meaningful things in your life that you gotta go address first? All right. So, Brian, um, tell us about your book real quick. Uh, how do we activate our heroic potential? Let's go. Now, you're getting deep on us, Joseph. Let's go, dude. That's some good, 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 important stuff. So, RTA, activate your heroic potential. Activation energy is a thing. It's a chemistry term where one thing becomes another thing. So, water won't boil until you get to 212 degrees. Fire won't be ignited until you get to 451 degrees Fahrenheit. So in the book, there are 451 micro chapters um, within seven objectives. We've talked about some of them, uh, but it's basically ancient wisdom, modern science to help you move from theory to practice to mastery. We've touched on some of the themes in the book. And the first is the objective. One is you got to know the ultimate game. And you just said it, which is, look, most people have been seduced to go after the fame, the wealth, and the hotness. But science is unequivocal. Even if you are successfully pursuing those extrinsic motivators, you are less psychologically stable mm -hmm. than people going after the intrinsic stuff, which include three other things. Be a good person, become a better person, deepen personal relationships, and make a contribution to your community, independent of 
Instagram followers, square footage in your house, all the things you've been told you should go after. That is the ultimate game. You win it by being your best self in service to something bigger than yourself. It's a 2,500 year old challenge. All great wisdom traditions, faith traditions, um, talk about it in modern science agrees. That's the first objective. The second we talked about, forge anti-fragile confidence. Rule number one is it's supposed to be hard. Go do the work, figure out your protocol, work it, especially when you don't feel like it. And then objective three is simplify everything into the big three, energy, work, and love. Who are you at your best? That do and don't list. The next step in the exercise is give me three pieces of paper. Tell me who you were at your best energy-wise. What did you do? What did you not do? Work-wise, what did you do? What did you not do? Love-wise, what did you do? What did you not do? The app we built with that company that built Slack and Tinder, et cetera, we built an app to help you get clarity on that and then to do it. And it's been scientifically shown to change people's lives when they set a clear intention in the beginning of the day. Um, it's like a virtuous habit tracker, mm -hmm. if you will, right? Integrating these ideas. Objective four is you got to make today a masterpiece. We talk a lot about how to do that. AM and PM bookends. Is it um, possible we... for every day to be a masterpiece or is that a false no. perfection no. It, type it, standard? It well, again, the pursuit of perfection is absolutely essential. And the wisdom to know you will never actually hit it is also absolutely essential. So the metaphor that, that great teachers use is your ideals are guiding stars. They're not distant shores. You're never going to reach that star, but you use it to guide you to, you know, uh, the next part of your journey. Um, so no, I mean, Vince Lombardi, John Wooden, it's the pursuit of perfection through which you catch excellence. So you got to hold the high standards, but you got to be wise enough to know, of course, you're never going to have a perfect anything. My joke with my kids, you know, I hold another conversation, but we talk a lot about the fact that there are no perfect human beings. It's an Abraham Maslow idea. There are no perfect human beings and me and you are not going to be the first perfect human beings. So when I make a mistake, 11 year old, six year old kids, I'm like, oh, shoot, I was almost, almost the first perfect human being. They laugh out loud. And then I say, oh, shoot, you're right. I've made 1,278,962 mistakes in my life. How many have you made? 2,172. And I say, why are mistakes good? And they immediately say, because that's the only way you can learn something. So then we should get really excited about making mistakes, huh? Because that's how you learn. That's how you master something. So I set up a masterpiece day, so I've got a clear target. But the archer who goes out to the range and the patron god of philosophy in ancient Greece was an archer, Apollo. No archer goes out to the range and hits bullseye every target. And if they do, the target's too close. Move it out. And so those misses become opportunities to use the data, the decisions we make, we're worried about making more decisions and getting more data, not making the right decision every single time. But anyway, again, long answer to your short question. No, of course not. I don't. Have I ever had a perfect day? Of course not. But by setting the standards, knowing my targets, I'm much more likely to have great days. And then it's really hard to have really bad days when I do the top three things, energy, work, and love. I know exactly what I do when I'm at my best, energy, work, and love, and I do them every single day, especially after I have an off day. It's mm -hmm. hard to put into words how powerful that is. It's as close to invincibility as we're going to get. Bad day, you rebound stronger. You double down in your protocol. You bounce back. You recommit um, knowing that you're going to have those off days. Final thing, and I know I'm saying a lot, great golfers 
like Jack Nicholas says, the difference between him and people at his tier and everybody else's, they know they're going to have bad shots. So the almost great gets upset when they make a bad shot. But but the great ones know they're going to make three, four, five bad shots around. So when it happens, they say, there's one of them. I'm back to this shot. Let me work my protocol. Whereas the entrepreneur who gets rejected, oh, so I suck. You know, let me give up for a week or two or three versus no, no. There's your bad shot. Perfect. Where you mess something up. Perfect. There's your bad shot. Get back at it. Constrain it to five minutes. We're all going to have five, 10, 15 minutes of being out, you know, off the rails, but keep it to that. Not five, 10, 15 hours. So you know? question to you, what is your mistake protocol when you make a mistake? Dude, it's, uh, I reload. So this is a Lanny Basham gold medal winning rifle shooter. He won a silver medal and he says he choked. Then he studied every single gold medalist, quizzed them all, came up with a mental toughness routine. The guy was literally a rifle shooter. So when he misses the mark, most people, when they miss the mark, they ruminate about how much they suck and, oh, my God, I can't believe that went poorly, et cetera. He never did that because you destroy your self-image in the process because then you're the guy that makes all the mistakes and all that. I'm not saying ignore the fact you missed the mark, but what he does is he says, immediately say to yourself, well, first of all, if you hit a bullseye, you feast on it and you say, that's like me. You cultivate your self-image. Yes. And then when you miss the mark, you say simply needs work. Then, for example, in the book, I share a story about me and my son. I use him in the beginning to tell the story about Arte. And then I, I use a story where the kids were out of control. We're out all day. We're driving home. We live in the country. We're 45 minutes into our drive and the kids just lose it. And then I lose it. I yell at them, you know, and I, oops, the gap. Shoot, I'm not perfect. And then 10 minutes later, we're approaching our, our, our place. We live in the country. The mailbox is like a mile from our house. Usually my son, 11 years old, comes up in the front. He sits, you know, and he drives, right? Well, I'm driving, but he's kind of driving, right? He's like, hey, daddy, can I drive? The answer should have been, yeah, of course, dude. We'll have a great rest of the night. He had called me a jerky face. First time he ever called me jerky face. Like, jerky face? You know, and I'm sitting there. I'm still pissed about jerky face. Were you not anti-fragile? Are you kidding me? Well, I was, though. I'll finish the story, and then I'll tell you what I did. So then in the moment, I wasn't perfect. I let a gap exist. So I literally said to him, dude, I can't. No, I'm not. You can't drive today. I'm not a big fan of being called jerky face. Quote, unquote, is exactly what I said to him. So then he's all bummed. He forgot what had upset us. My daughter's now upset because he was upset. And then the rest of the night went the way you'd expect it to go. Now, the next morning, I'm sitting there and I'm reflecting on it. And I'm not saying to myself, God, you're a horrible dad. You're never you're going to be just like your dad and all this stuff. I went right back to the moment when I made a mistake. And there was a choice point right when my son said, hey, can I get in the, in the front seat? And I literally had the thought, dude, just let him come up. It's cool. And the little demon came in, right, and said, no, da, da, da. but anyway, that's what I do. I go right back to the moment where I made a bad decision and I use the data to get better. And then I, I play that in my head. Oh, that's what I could have done. That's what I will do next time. Um, and then I taught my kids that because I wish my dad taught me that, right? He just numbed himself with alcohol. So now I'm telling my kids, hey, I'm sorry. Let me repair with you and say, I'm sorry. And then let me tell you what I wish I would have done while I teach you how I hope you do it in the future. And then it's exciting. And then we win or we learn. Learning is winning. So we win or we win. Um, and again, we need to make that a true statement. Can't just sound good. It's got to be true. 
And that's one way that I, I deal with the inevitable mistakes that arise. All right. Brian, thank you for this great conversation. We go, we've gone deeper than our normal business conversations because we're dealing with the person, the human being in front of us. I'm really curious, and I got to ask this question, and then we're going to go into the hustle round. You mentioned earlier, water has a boiling temperature, right? Fire has a ignition temperature. Is there any science that you've discovered? for a human being's potential, like an ignite ignition factor to ignite a human being into their peak performance? Is there a way to measure that the same way that we do with fire and water or not? It's just a curiosity question. No, no, it's a great, it's a great question. I I do not know a way to measure it beyond the metaphorical, you know, in terms of you got to get to activation, but Joseph Campbell, the great mythologist on the hero's journey, quoted Sri Ramakrishna, who said the same thing with spiritual aspirants. He said, don't approach enlightenment unless you approach it like a man whose hair is on fire approaches a pond. Eric Thomas, right? He says, you know, the the whole parable of the guy that shows up at the beach and his mentor holds him underwater, right? And you got to approach your life like that guy wants oxygen. You got to have an intensity. And it's cool to be slightly cynical, if not significantly cynical and almost nihilistic in our society. So we want to stay calm. We want to stay grounded, but we got to activate. Then you got to go way beyond that. 451 is ignition, but it takes 2200 degrees to forge a sword. So you got to have that ground, grounded, calm, confident, sustainable intensity. I'm not talking about manic. I'm excited for a day or two or three. I walked on fire and check me out. Then the next day or three or four or five later, I'm, I'm back lower than I started. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about consistency on the basic things where you know how to to turn that on day in and day out. Um, So I think metaphorically, um, we can answer it. And then internally, we know. We know whether we're showing up with an intensity or not. Um, And I'll emphasize again, I'm as intense on my recovery as I am on showing up. So you're getting me intense, right? But Navy SEALs are taking a nap in the helicopter en route to the mission. They know how to flip the switch. They know how to turn it off. So when I meditate for now in the morning, dude, I'm the opposite of this, but I'm as intensely unplugged as I am intensely showing up with you. It's only by creating those big waves that peak performers can sustain peak performance. Mm -hmm. Fill in the blank on anyone you want, an athlete, a musician, the entrepreneur, of course, we've got to know how to um, calibrate our energy um, as appropriate. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You know, I'm just wondering, like, with all the adversity I've had in my life personally, like, is there an adversity measurement of like, how many consistent adversities and how many times did you get it back up that actually stack to build that internal, like, stick to Like, that's it. Like, I hit I hit the, the degrees, I hit the ignition, never again. Like the rest yeah, of my dude. life is now this. Dude. Yeah, yeah. So, so this is what's funny. Um, the good life is one hero's journey after another. So you and I have been, we've been knocked down, dude. I once raised money from a billionaire. And the only thing that he did when he introduced me to his friends was, it was the weirdest thing, dude. He's sitting there and he's like, yeah, yeah, I invested in Brian. We're, we're in Aspen. His friends are there, you know, in this place. This is his entire introduction. I invested in Brian because he knows how to get knocked down and bloodied and get back up. That's it. Brian, tell us about the business. But here's the asterisk. If you're doing it right, you get knocked down harder. 
-hmm. you know, and you're never going to be exonerated is how Phil Stutz puts it. We all want to get to a point where we no longer need to experience pain, uncertainty, and hard work. Mm -hmm. But the higher you go, the, the higher the stakes oh, yeah. and the harder you need to work, you know? So that's, that's the, the arc. Now, again, the dragons that you fight in the beginning, you realize aren't actually your enemies. And, and at one level, after enough, enough cycles through, you learn how to befriend them, to tame them, and then to ride them. Still dangerous creatures, right? But there's a level of uh, a different relationship that I've experienced. It's still terrifying at times as it should be. Um, but that becomes an indicator that you're doing it right. Again, slow down, double down in your protocol. This is what you train for. Let's go. All right, Brian, welcome to the hustle round. I'm going to ask you 10 quick fire questions. You'll have about three seconds to answer each. Don't overthink it. It's just for fun. It's like a game show without the prizes. Are you ready? Let's go. What's your favorite thing about being an entrepreneur, slaying dragons? What's your favorite thing, man? Dude, just showing up, opportunity to do it, serving a great community and team. What's your least favorite thing? Yeah, I mean, just the, everything we're talking about, just just the continued embrace of the challenges that are inherent in it, you know, and there's that that dance of moving through those fears consistently, embracing the pain, the uncertainty, the hard work. Um, yeah, that's, that's the Marine motto, right? Embrace the suck, man. I believe we're all struggling with something at any given moment of our life, which is part of the human condition. What are you currently challenged with right now, either professionally or personally? Dude, it's always the same showing up. That gap is always there. Um, you think you're at an eight, you're really at a two is I think it was Joe Magnalio. Magnanelli, I forget how you say his name, but you think you're at an eight, you're really at a two. Um, embracing that, that gap, embracing the suck, as you just said, day in and day out. Amen. What are you most afraid of? Not showing up as powerfully as I can. Okay. What did you spend way too much time doing your first year in this business? First year in this business? First year in this business was pretty good. <laughs> uh, <laughs> shoot, I don't have a good answer for that one. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to think back. I mean, first year in business is easier yeah. for me to answer. Answer um, yeah, overthinking. I mean, what we've been talking about, you know, not enough ready, fire, aim, giving up too quickly. I didn't have the calluses I have now to know That's it's it. supposed to be hard. You know, the inconsistency um, that I've now learned is so the consistency that's so important. You know, there's such a correlation between calluses and confidence, right? You need the calluses to have the confidence, right? And and we reject the calluses, and then we don't get the confidence. But when you embrace the calluses, you get the confidence, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Makes Beautiful a lot of said. sense. What secret fear do you have about people? Secret fear do I have about people? Uh, shoot. Um, I don't have a lot of secret fears about people. I mean, I now am able to alchemize, you know, people are people and you're going to have different experiences with different people. I still get, you know, pissy when people are pissy, but compassion comes pretty quickly for me now. People that are, are, those guys are afraid they're scared you know what i mean and i got that in me too so there's a level of i'm that and i can see it and i can step back and go all right that's where you are right now you know that's fair what do you wish you had learned sooner in business what i'm talking about today which is why i emphasize it so much if i can go back to the 24 year old version of me starting my first business I would have taught them every single thing we're talking about right now. Eating, moving, sleeping, breathing, focusing, risk-taking, action-driving creativity, staying in the game, 
expecting it to be painful, hard, et cetera. Um, yeah, we, we've hit exactly those themes. I typically ask what's a new habit you're going to create, but you're a guy who does habits all the time. So I'm going to ask you this. If you had to give up all your current morning habits, except one, which would remain? Good night of sleep. Doesn't sound like a morning habit, but it is. Today started last night. So when I go to bed and how many hours I'm in bed, it directly impacts my morning. So my morning began last night. I would never compromise. I do compromise that when I give a late talk or I've got this or that, but as a habit, I'm all in on that one fundamental habit, full stop. And by the way, that's why it's hard for me to have a series of bad days. I never, ever, ever consistently go off the rails on that one habit, sleep. I have to ask you, and this is like off book here, man. Like for me, I'm at this stage. I used to need seven and a half hours. That was my number, right? And I felt great if I slept for eight. Man, I draggy all day. Like and it would just happen over and over again. Now, after 40, I'm like six and a half hours. Feel great? Anything more or less? Draggy? Like, am I doing this wrong? Because all these top winners are doing eight to nine. Everyone's different. So you got to honor your idiosyncratic rhythms. I'd want to know a little bit more about it, but I will tell you that the science is pretty clear. Seven to eight hours of sleep and the odds of you being genetically different and able to truly thrive on less than seven are the same as the odds of you being struck by lightning in your lifetime. One in 11,000. I personally, um, you know, I got seven and a half last night, which is fine, but I uh, eight, eight and a half. I'm like, bam, I'm just invincible. That's me though. So mm -hmm. you and I are obviously different in many regards, um, but experiment. And then um, why I get that sleep though is dude, I, I perform at a level I cannot perform at when I'm well rested versus not. Yeah. Therefore, I don't care. I, I don't care what's on Netflix. I don't care what's on whatever. I do not need to check my email another time. I want to get, I got up at 4.05 this morning without an alarm. Yeah. Cause I went to bed at 7.30, two hours after the sunset, after I tucked my kids in, you know? Like, so every Sunday I, night, this is my new habit is I go to bed 7.30, 8.30 and I'm up by 2.30 or three, right? And I start my Mondays, my new week, just fire like fire and I'll get an extra three to four hours, right? More in my week than everyone else on the planet for the most part. And it's like, it's to me, it's a competitive advantage and I'm just thriving with it. Now come the weekend, Saturday and Sunday, I'll catch eight hours, right? To catch up on those six and a half hour days. But it's like a routine that's working for me. I don't know if it's sustainable. And yeah. I don't want to be Bezos. I'm just saying. I mean, you're kind of working the luck. I don't know. Maybe that's your guy. I don't know. All right. Pick three words to describe who you I, are if now. I had hair envy. I would have hair envy right now for you, Joseph. Let's be clear. <laughs> Sorry. Continue. I, I have a good smile envy with you. All right. Pick a, a three words to describe who you are now. Heroic philosopher CEO. Got it. Pick three words to describe who you were your first year in business inconsistent ambitious mess <laughs> <laughs> and last question if you could come back to life after you died look your family and friends in the eye give them only one piece of advice about true success in business and life what would you say to them one word it's got to be arte which encompasses all the other virtues the wisdom the discipline the love the courage the gratitude the hope the curiosity and the zest I should have seen that coming. It's tattooed on your arm. All right. Give a homework assignment to Startup Nation right now. What is one action they must take this week? I know you gave them an exercise. 
Most people are not going to do it because they just freaking dream and they don't take action, all right? But what's one action definitively? If they take this, they will get this potential outcome this week. I would frame that up to the individual. So whoever's listening right now, what's the one thing you got, whether it was something I said or Joseph said that just landed? You know, there was a truth you already knew as a reminder of something that was important, but perhaps it, it just, it really, really clicked. What are you going to do about that? How do you think you can move from theory to practice to mastery on that one idea? Goosebumps, you know, get your why strong, get that fire ignited, turn up the heat, stay in it, um, and go do that thing that, that you just identified. Okay. What is the best way for Startup Nation to get in touch with you if they so choose? The book's the easiest way to get into it. If this resonated, Arete, A-R-E-T-E, -E, pick it up wherever you get books, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, independent bookstores, FedEx stores. I get a, get a kick out of that. We're in FedEx stores. It's kind of funny. Um, and then the app is called Heroic. You can find us, heroic.us, that's U-S, or just search Heroic in your iOS, Android bookstore, uh, app store, rather, um, or the training platform. But that's the basic idea. Appreciate you, man. Great, great, great chat. Appreciate your intensity and um, how you're showing up. Thanks, brother. Same. Right back at you. Startup Nation, if you enjoyed today's show, this episode, uh, go write a review, an honest review for Brian Johnson. Uh, tell him what you thought about the impact he just had in your life and his contribution to you in the world. Go do that now. Use your thumbs right now on your phone, wherever you're listening, and get that done. Brian Johnson, thank you for being on your first 100K. I wish you God's love, peace, and joy in your life, sir. Appreciate it. Right back. Are you a dad over 40? Are you overeating, over drinking, or failing your family? Brother, if you're overweight, watching porn, or drinking more than once a week, then listen up. If you're struggling in your marriage or finances, you've lost your power as a man. What's even worse is that other men can smell weakness on you. When a man lacks confidence, he stinks of weakness. People could smell it on him a mile away. People and opportunities will avoid him because he's carrying a deadly disease called powerlessness. Remember back when you used to feel invincible, you were in your power, when you were unstoppable, back when you were the man? But how do you feel now, brother? Are you tired all the time, unmotivated, stressed, worried about the future? So what the heck changed? What happened to you? I'll tell you, you became undisciplined. You've been slipping for years, haven't you? You eat like crap, you half-ass your workouts, your health is slipping, your finances are slipping, your marriage is slipping, your parenting is slipping, your confidence is slipping. A pile of slips leads men to a big fall. How do I know? Because I'm you, brother. You are me, I am you. Brother, you're out of power. I'm in my power. Let me help you get your power back. Apply for our shredded father's brotherhood where husbands, dads, and businessmen over age 40 are getting shredded and staying ripped for life. Go to shreddedfathers.com. Limited spots are available. Brother, your wife and kids are waiting for you to step up and lead them. Brother, wake up. Move.